Well, thank you so much, worship team. Guys, I, I love that song that we just sang. How sweet is it, the simple truth that Christ is mine forever more and more, and we can rest assured in that. Well, this morning I'm excited that I have the opportunity to be the one on a Sunday morning to share from God's word with you. And as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think of something that Vincent said a few weeks ago when he was teaching, and that is when you're doing one of these one-off kind of sermons, it's, it's hard because you don't have the weeks and months of people, you know, being ready because they've gone through a book for the past few weeks, the past month or so. Rather, what you have now is we're, we're kind of parachuting down into a passage rather than knowing all of the themes, all of the characters, all of the key words to be looking for. Instead, we just jump right in and we, we take a quick lay of the land and then we're off running. And because of that, this morning I decided to cheat a little bit, just a little bit. Um, I'm going to be going through a book of the Bible that hopefully is fresh on your minds. Uh, Seth taught from this book just a few weeks ago at our all-church camp, and it was the book for our reading plan not that long ago. And so this morning, we're going to actually continue on through the book of Galatians. So if you would, with me now, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to be, again, to get the idea of what's going on, we're going to look at verses 1 all the way through 15. But then specifically, we're going to land this morning on verses 13 through 15. And as you're turning there, I remember in 2016, when I was still in seminary, uh, I was sitting in a course called uh, Spiritual Theology. And my professor at the time, Dr. Kyle Strobel, had us sit down in our seats and he said, I want to tell you a story. And you may not know, but you guys are likely familiar with part of my professor's story, as his father is Lee Strobel. And many of you are likely familiar with the book, The Case for Christ, or the movie that came about it not that long ago. But he told the class of the tumultuous upbringing that he had. He explained how hard it was growing up in a household where at a young age, his mother had some questions about faith and his father was a devout atheist. In fact, as many of you know, he was a journalist, and the next big project for him was to completely try and undo Christianity. He wanted to show that it was absolute falsehood and that it was ridiculous. And as he was doing that, the worst thing that he could have imagined at the time happened to him. His wife, Kyle's mother, was befriended by a Christian, and she herself became a believer. And that caused great strife within their family because Lee was working so hard to prove what she had just put her faith in was worthless. And as Lee continued to work on this project, as he continued on with interviews, with research, he came to his conclusion. But it wasn't the one that he had hoped to come to. He came to the conclusion that the words he read in Scripture were nothing but truth. Every single claim about Christ, his birth, life, death, and resurrection had to be true. And so after this realization, he soon gave his life 
to the Lord and his son, Kyle, my professor, soon after gave his life to the Lord. And that's really where Kyle Strobel's story starts, is he, he told us, I was saved then after I had been shared the truth, or the truth had been shared with me by my parents. And he quickly began to grow in his faith, like many young believers do. But then he recognized that it became stagnant. He stopped growing. He stopped bearing fruit. And he became what he would call a lazy Christian, right? This is probably barely a step above a, like a nominal Christian, if you, if you think about it. And so he, from his mid to his late teen years, all the way up until his first year at a Bible college, he called himself a lazy Christian. And when he got to school, he did what many of us do, which is he aligned himself with people who had similar beliefs and similar dispositions. So he spent time with other lazy Christians. And what he meant by this was they had fully embraced that they had been saved by grace through faith. But now they were exercising every single liberty they could to its fullest extent. They were seeking to indulge the flesh, doing the exact opposite of what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Right where he says, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound all the more? By no means. You see, they were living this way because they said, Oh, we're good. We've been saved. We're fine. They believed and they had been saved by grace through faith, but they were using their freedom for all the wrong things. Freedom is an issue that is near and dear to the hearts of many of us, especially as we sit here in the United States, as we sit here in Idaho and in the city of Meridian, freedom's kind of a big deal to us. We have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to bear arms, the right to a fair trial. These are the ideals on which our nation was founded. And these are the things that we treasure so much. And this is actually going to be the theme of the book of Galatians that we will see this morning. And I would say that if you were challenged with distilling the book of Galatians down into one word, it could be argued the word is freedom. And throughout the six chapters of Galatians, Paul battles fervently against the Judaizers, the ones who had slipped in amongst the once fervent believers and given them little lies. They had come in and affirmed, yes, you've been saved by grace, but with a little addition. It's also work. By faith and work, you have been saved. That is what the Judaizers had claimed. And so we see Paul battles against this message throughout the book of Galatians. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, we see Paul is astonished that the Galatians have so quickly abandoned for another gospel. And why is it that he is so astonished? It's because there is no other true gospel message. There is one true gospel message. 
And it's the one that Paul has reiterated and will reiterate over and over. Explaining you have been saved by grace through faith. And then here's the difference between him and the Judaizers. As a result of your salvation, you will bear good fruit. It is not the cause of your salvation, but it is indeed a result. That's the freedom that Paul fights so hard for in the book of Galatians. That's the freedom we will see him continue to fight for this morning. And though we would say that freedom is the main theme of the book, we're going to see in this passage today that Paul is addressing much more than freedom in its broadest sense. Rather, as we look at Galatians 1, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, we see Paul addresses what theologians and commentators have distilled down into two words, liberty and license. That's what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. We see clearly through the first 12 verses, Paul is fighting for his beloved Galatians to realize they have been saved by grace through faith and it is nothing else. And now, specifically in 13 through 15, he emphasizes that though we have these liberties now, we are called to use our freedom not for our own desires, but for the service of another. Brothers and sisters, it's my conviction that in our passage today, we will see that Paul clearly presents a threefold call to selfless service. First, he will emphasize the motivation for selfless service. And second, he will remind us of the mandate for selfless service. And then third and finally, he will warn us of the mistake of selfish service. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15 together now. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. First, Paul emphasizes the motivation for selfless service. As we read through verse 13 specifically, we could actually see this verse could likely be broken down into two smaller portions, showing two different emphases here. First is the call. Paul starts this verse where he often does. He reminds his brothers and sisters that you have been called from somewhere and you have been called to something. So he emphasizes from where and to what they have been called. Just as he did previously in chapter 5, verse 1, we see Paul tells his audience they have been called to freedom. They have been called to freedom. But what is it exactly they're set free from? What's Paul talking about? Well, I am glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. What is it they have been freed from? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. We, they, were held captive under the law. And though it may fall short in our English translation, this is actually really vivid language that Paul is using here. When he speaks of captivity or being kept in custody, it's supposed to do multiple things and bring about numerous images within us. The first is it's meant to evoke an image of a massive city, but it's a city that is being besieged on every single side. This is a city where they can't get water in, they can't get food in, they can't get people out. They are stuck there. There is no escape for them. And the second image that it should bring about is that of a large shoal of fish, a large grouping of fish who are swimming and then suddenly are captured up by a large net. And slowly, all of them are trapped on either side, on every single side, and they are slowly brought to their doom, or the surface of the water. Neither of these images gives very much hope, does it? And Paul gives us this imagery so we understand the, the state that we were in, the state that the Galatians were in. Before they were held captive by the law, there was no chance for escape. The law could not save. No matter how hard one tried, no matter how closely you tried to adhere to it, you would fall short. The law was meant to condemn. It was meant to reveal the sinfulness of man and point them to a need for another. So then... We were called from captivity. 
We were called from hopelessness. We were called from certain death. And what is it that we've been called to? To freedom. That is what we have been called to. Called from captivity, now called to freedom. But here's the question. How is it that we are set free? We're surrounded on every single side. There's no hope of escape for any of us. What do we need to do to save ourselves? How do we save ourselves? Well, spoiler alert, we can't. We cannot save ourselves. And this is the point that Paul is making constantly throughout his letter. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. This is not something you can achieve, but it is a gift that you can receive. You can't do anything to get this. He says you can receive it, and he says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow. Is, is that not the response that we should all have is just, wow. This is amazing. The people were captive under the law. They were surrounded on every single side, destined for nothing but destruction. But God, he intervened. He saved us. And as we know from Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here the audience is told they're to embrace the freedom that they have been called to. And that's the first point we can see from Galatians chapter 13. But the second we might also be able to take from this is Paul's challenge in the second half of verse 13. We see what the audience have been, has been called from. We see what the audience has been called to. And now in the very same verse, Paul tells the Galatians how to put that very freedom into practice. And he does so by presenting the audience with this contrast, saying, do not use your freedom to fulfill the desires of the flesh, but through love serve one another. You have been saved. You are no longer held captive. You've been set free, but do not fall into the trap of using that freedom for yourself and yourself alone. Don't use it to only fulfill the earthly desires of your flesh, because that directly opposes the desire that the Lord has. Rather, with this freedom, Paul says, 
through love serve one another. And let's think for a moment, why does Paul even have to say this? Shouldn't this just be the natural conclusion that the Galatians come to? They say, okay, I've been saved by a selfless act. I should do that too. But, they're, but Paul is working here, assuming their natural assumption is going to be what ours often is in our wicked heart, is we hear we've been set free and we think, what do I want to do with that freedom? And this is sad, but it's, it's true. Even if that doesn't really make much sense. In fact, responding to this passage, Pastor Timothy Keller illustrates it by saying, if you know God's wisdom to you, shown most clearly in Christ, why would you use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature which left you an enemy of his, unforgiven and unfulfilled? Why would the Galatians do this? Why do we do this? We are not set free just to do what we want, but for the first time to do as we ought. Pastor John MacArthur clarifies this even more by saying Christians are given freedom so that for the first time they can do what God wants out of their love for him. Because God so loved you, so you ought to love and serve others. That should be our response. The service of our brother and sister in Christ. And it must be motivated by the gospel message. Some of you will remember that in the year 2000, Haley Joel Osment was in a movie called Pay It Forward. And in this movie, Osmond's character, Trevor McKinney, comes up with an idea where he seeks to just spread a little bit of good. And his idea is very, very simple. It is do a selfless act for another, and instead of asking for something in return, say, pay it forward. Ask them to do something for another. And when he explains this idea to his pessimistic grade school teacher, the teacher tells him, that's not going to work. It's never going to happen. But what unfolds over the next few weeks is amazing. As the boy put this practice forward before others, we see it starts to spread like wildfire. It's made its way coast to coast. Everybody knows about this. And as the movie progresses, the audience gets to look in on a couple of these instances. One of them is a man who simply gives his car to another person. He doesn't say anything other than pay it forward. Or we're taken to a scene in an emergency room where a gang member has been shot and he's bleeding and he sees a little girl having an asthma attack, and as the nurses come to help him, he stops and he says, help her first. And he says nothing to the little girl but pay it forward. Selfless act by selfless act, we see the audience begins to realize the child's dream has become a reality. And people were willing to serve selflessly because they had been served first by another. 
our motivation for service of others should be the same. Right? First John 3:16 through 18 tells us by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. We should love. We should serve because he first loved us. That is where our motivation comes from. We should serve. We should be willing to lay down our life for another because he laid down his life for us. When we were still enemies, he laid down his life for us. But the question is, are we willing to do that? Brothers and sisters, we have been saved by grace through faith. But the question is, what are we doing with that freedom? How are we using the freedom that God has given us? Are we using it to gratify the desires of the flesh? Or are we using our freedom that has been given to us through love to serve one another? So first, the Apostle Paul shows us the motivation for selfless service, which is the gospel. And second, Paul is going to tell us of the mandate for selfless service in Galatians 5.14. And what we see next is Paul continues his argument, and he doesn't appeal to his own authority as an apostle, as somebody who is uh, well-informed of what the scriptures say, but, but he appeals directly to the big man himself. He directly appeals to the authority of God and of scripture. And he does this before the audience even asks, what gives you the right to tell us? He, he answers it right here. Based on what Paul has already been saying to his audience, they know that through love they should serve one another. And it's because of the love they've received. So that's the motivation. We have that clarified. But then the question is, what is the, the reason for loving service itself? And when I was reading this, I realized that what Paul kind of does here is essentially saying to us the, the words of the famous children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But... Instead, Paul says, you have been called to serve and love others. This I know, for Jesus and the Bible tell me so. He goes right back to Scripture, right back to the Word of God to show why this message has authority. He takes the Galatians first back to the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 39, where it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Paul takes the audience back to the very words of Jesus, where he distills the whole of the law down into these two points, love of God and the love of others. But also what Paul does is he's directing us back to one point that's made. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which I'm sure every single one of you is familiar with in your daily readings of Leviticus, where it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the apostle here is showing that, in fact, the whole of the law is fulfilled by what he's been encouraging the Galatians towards this entire time. The whole of the law is fulfilled by the love of God and the love of others, which in this situation is made manifest in the selfless service of one another. And now as we read the words of Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's clear and it makes sense, but, but I feel there are two points of of emphasis that I need to make, of clarification that are necessary as we read this morning. And they are, okay, what is Paul doing? He's just finished saying we've, set, we've been set free from the law, and then he brings up the law again. So is, is Paul contradicting himself? And then second, we see Jesus distilled the whole of the law into two commandments. You're saying it's one. Is Paul contradicting Jesus? And so first, when we're talking about fulfilling the law, what is it that we mean? There are a few things that I want to draw your attention to as we understand this. And the first is a clarification regarding the believer and the law. And it's this. The believer is no longer under the law. Rather, the believer fulfills the law. And I know you're sitting there and you're like, that doesn't help. It doesn't really bring clarification right now, but stick with me. It, it makes sense. We're no longer under the law, but rather as believers, we fulfill the law. Second, when Paul utilizes the Greek word plerao for is fulfilled, he uses the perfect tense here, meaning this is something that has taken place and continues on still. It has lasting effects into the present and into the future. But then third, perhaps one of the most helpful points of clarification here is an explanation that comes from a commentary on Galatians, which explains, although he, meaning the one who has been saved, is not bound under the system of the law as were the Old Testament saints, when a Christian genuinely loves another, he fulfills the moral elements of the Mosaic law. Or perhaps in, from the words in the New International New Testament commentary, it says, The believer who is set free from the law is at the same time one who fulfills the law. The way he fulfills the law is by the new way of love, which is generated within the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, no, of course, the believer is not still under the law, but they indeed fulfill the law. They have been set free, and all of the moral elements of the Mosaic law are fulfilled. 
as we love and serve one another. So first, this is what it means when we're addressing the fulfilling of the law as Paul is speaking about. Now the second question I posed, is Paul directly contradicting that which Jesus has said? No. Let's move on. Uh, no, what, so what's happening here is Paul is, is certainly not contradicting the words of Jesus. And we, we see that, hey, Paul, Paul didn't make a mistake here. He doubles down on it. In, in Romans 13, 8 through 10, we see he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who serves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, love does no wrong to a neighbor. It is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul does this multiple times, reminding us that that really the whole of the law can be distilled down into this one point. And he's not contradicting the words of Jesus, but rather what I think he's doing is saying that what Jesus said goes hand in hand with one another. And really, it's one commandment here. And we actually see this in the way that Paul structures his argument here, especially in verses 13 and in 14. What Paul seems to be trying to do is saying here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and as a result, you will love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way that Paul makes his argument right now. In, in verse 13, he emphasizes the motivation, which is the love of God. And then knowing that, we love and serve one another because he first loved us. In reality, the service mentioned in the second half of verse 13 is to be an outpouring of our love for the Lord. Does that make sense? They go hand in hand. One flows from the other. And so... As we see this, Paul is certainly not contradicting the words of Jesus, except he, rather he's giving a hearty amen to what Jesus has already said and what we already find in the book of Leviticus. And this morning as we read in Galatians chapter 5, what we see is that Paul utilizes the truth that we have been set free, we're no longer under the law, and he uses the words of the Lord to spur us on towards the selfless service of the fellow Christian. Over the past year and every other year that I've been involved here with Ambassador Youth, there's something that we've constantly done, and that is challenging the students to ask good questions. We don't want to raise up a generation that just accepts what they hear blindly, but, but we want them to be faithful Bereans. We want them to hear the words that we teach and then go to the scripture to see if that is true. And one of the ways that we have done this is by giving our students an opportunity to ask questions. 
And so we have our question box and every single week we ask our students to put their toughest questions in there. And then I thumb through the questions. I give the hard ones to Thomas and I take the softball ones and I, I run with those ones. Not, not really, but, uh, but as I've been studying, as I've been seeking answers to relay to the students in an understandable manner, I don't know if they have, but I, I have noticed a theme that emerges. Whenever they, they ask a question that starts with, why do we believe or why do we do X, Y, Z? There's always an initial response that I give to the students. And that initial response is, because the Bible tells us so. Now, I, I usually go into more explanation. I don't usually just leave them with because the Bible says so, do it. Uh, I usually give more explanation, but really at the heart of it all, it should be submission to the Word of God, should it not? I always want to emphasize sola scriptura. I always want that to be an emphasis, especially with our students. Because if we truly believe that this is the inerrant, this is the clear, this is the inspired word of God, then we should obey it. We should submit to it. Because it, it demands our obedience. And that's exactly what Paul does. He writes to the Galatians and tells them how they should steward their freedom, telling them, serve one another through love and do it not because I say so, but because God says so. I can't tell you how much more often I've had to, to fight people on this now, right? We, we know right here that Paul is ascribing to what, what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.19, where he refers to the prophetic word more fully confirmed, where he's saying we have God's word, and that's even better than he's referencing to his personal experience of seeing the transfiguration. He's saying that the word of God, this revelation, is even more sure. But I've, I've had to fight people on this so often because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where I ask a person, even a close friend of mine, what do you believe or why do you believe this? And you know how they start their answer? Because I feel. Without a doubt, without fail, that tends to be the response I receive is because I feel. That's why I believe this. But that cannot be our response. Our response, our beliefs, our actions, our emotions can never be based upon solely what I feel. Rather, they must be based upon what he says. Never on what I feel, but on what he says. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. While he's addressing this call to selfless service, Paul reminds us the mandate for selfless service comes from the scriptures. And third, Paul tells us of the mistake of selfish service. Finally, this morning, as our time in the book of Galatians starts to wind down, we see that the apostle once again evokes some strong imagery here to make a profound point. 
in this portion of his persuasion of the Galatians, we see Paul utilizes a, a negative hypothetical to get his point across. He shows them something that is directly contrasting selfless service. You know, previously in verse 13, we saw that Paul has called fellow believers to serve one another, ultimately out of love, which flows from the love for the Lord. But what we see now is Paul warns of what will indeed happen if we do not serve one another selflessly. And spoiler alert, he shows us it won't be pretty. It's not going to be good. In fact, here when Paul speaks of biting and devouring one another, this is another portion where our, our language kind of falls short because the words that are used is meant to kind of give us this idea that these are of wild animals, rabid wild animals fighting and attacking each other until neither of them are left. That's the kind of serious language Paul is using right here. And truly, if we read this passage as it was intended, maybe we could even distill it down to say, if you bite and devour one another, you will be consumed by one another. That's just what will happen. And language such as this should remind us of Romans chapter 14, where we see Paul talking to Christians about the exercising, once again, of their freedom. In that chapter, Paul talks to the Romans, and he says, don't be so worried about who holds to one day is more important than another. Don't be worried about who holds to one diet over another. Rather, whatever you do, be convinced in your mind that this is glorifying to the Lord. That's the Jacob Standard Version paraphrase. So if you want to see that, go to Romans chapter 14 and actually read from there directly. But, but the point he makes is we should be focused on is our freedom, the thing we're choosing to do, that which is most glorifying to the Lord. Paul tells the Galatians with these sobering words, serve one another. Because if you don't, you are going to destroy one another. Similarly, from Romans 14, here in Galatians 5, the focus is not on the exercising of our liberties at all times because we've been set free, but rather because of the freedom we have received. We should serve one another in love. Because of the love of Christ, we need to focus on the message that Paul has been reiterating over and over. Serve one another through love, my children. This should and must be the focus of every believer. On June 16th, 1858, three years before the start of his presidency, Abraham Lincoln shared some profound words at the Illinois Republic State Convention. In response to the state of the nation, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed, a house divided against itself 
cannot stand. And here he was speaking of the division in the United States where there was an acceptance of a half-free, half-slave America. But he stated in front of his peers and in front of his colleagues that a single government cannot have two separate visions. It cannot have two different paths and expect to remain united. Later on in his address, Lincoln stated, I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other thing. Multiple divisions can be very devastating. Multiple visions in the same household has never led to a happy ending. Nations have imploded. Businesses have been destroyed. Families have been fractured because of divided desires. This is what Paul is warning us against here in Galatians chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, if our house here, if the Lord's house here is divided, it will fall. It will be destroyed. And this morning, I want to ask each of you, and even myself, how are we using the liberties which God has given us? How are we stewarding the freedom that we have received? Are these freedoms being used for the glory of God as they should be? Or are they being used for the glory of the self? Our focus can never be seeking to satisfy ourselves, even to the dismay and the destruction of a brother or sister in Christ. Rather, we must heed Paul's call to selfless service. And respond to Paul's warning about the mistake of selfless service. The mistake, rather, of selfish service, I should say. And that is to become conceited. This morning, as we've spent time in God's word reading Paul's letter to the Galatians, we see Paul's clear plea to his beloved fellow Christians. He's calling them to remember that they have been called from captivity, right? They have been called from captivity, called to freedom. They are no longer under the law, but they are now counted as righteous. They and we are sons and daughters of the king. And Paul is calling them to remember their freedom and then challenging them and us today to use that freedom well. We've seen that Paul has called his fellow man to selfless service, and he's done so by emphasizing the motivation for selfless service, which is the gospel, and reminding the Galatians of the mandate for selfless service, which comes from the scriptures, and then warning them of the mistake of selfish service, which is to become conceited. Folks, I can't help but read this passage and think about a parent having a conversation with their child. 
In fact, it, it reminds me specifically of the, the conversation that a parent would have with their child right when they get their driver's license. So a child, 16 years, 17, 18, 19, however old they are, they've, they've just got their license. They just passed the test and they have their playlist all set, all ready to go. They have friends that they're going to go meet up with and they're excited. They just want to drive. Now, as a parent, likely two things are happening. One, you're thinking, yes, I don't have to drive them everywhere anymore. I don't have to drive them to school, to sports, to debate club, all these different things. I don't have to do that anymore. But also, you think about the weight that the new freedom they have carries. You don't just congratulate them and say, here are the keys. You congratulate them and you instill in them how weighty this freedom that they have just received is. You remind them because you know that if they don't use this freedom well, something bad could happen. If they abuse it, they could get a ticket. They could get in a car accident or something far worse could happen if they abuse this new freedom that they have received. They must use the freedom they have been given for good. And we too must use our freedom wisely. We must heed Paul's call to selfless service. First, our motivation for selfless service should be founded upon the gospel. It is because of our great love for the Father that we are willing to serve and to love another, that we are willing to lay down our life for them. This is the reason that we should be thrilled with the opportunity to serve our fellow Christian. And we must remember that this freedom is not an excuse to do whatever we want, but for the first time, because of God, to do what we ought. And second, it must be recognized that the mandate for selfless service comes from Scripture. We must wholeheartedly submit to God's Word. This is the revelation that he has given us. It is sufficient to know him, to receive salvation, and to live the godly life that is honoring to him. May it always be that our thoughts, our desires, our affections, and even our actions do not begin with because I feel, but with because he says. And third, we must listen to Paul's warning against the mistake of selfish service, which is becoming conceited. It can never be that we place our liberties, we place our desires over the well-being of a fellow Christian. In the differing of an opinion, in the differing of a vision or a motivation, we show grace. We seek unity. And we seek to serve and love one another. And if we don't, Paul makes it very clear what's going to happen. That like these animals, these rabid animals locked in a fight to the death, we will destroy each other. 
Brothers and sisters, use your freedoms wisely. This is a great gift. God has given us something that is amazing so that we might glorify him and we might serve another. This is the gift. This is what we have received, and may we use it wisely. May we do so today and every day that follows. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Abba, Father, we cry out to you with praise and thanksgiving, God. God, you have set us free. We were dead in our sins, but you. God, you came, you gave us life, you lifted us up from the dead and turned us towards yourself. God, we thank you for that salvation we have received if we have proclaimed your name and believed in our hearts that God raised your son from the dead. And Lord, my prayer is this, that everyone here today, everyone who hears this message, that we would be so concerned with, how can I, out of love, selflessly serve another? God, may it never be that we seek to gratify the desires of our flesh at the detriment of a fellow Christian. But God, may we always seek to serve them out of love for you and for your glory. God, we thank you for this gift, and we pray that you would change our hearts so that we might steward this gift well. God, may we serve you today and always. We pray this in your name. Amen.